Hey, it's Pastor. I am so excited you could join us uh, as we hear and listen to the Word of God. And I'm always hoping and praying that He's going to specifically guide your life and give you the hope and the peace that you cannot give to yourself. He is the power every time He promises to work through this Word. If He has worked in your life, we want to hear about it. Please email us, let us in, encourage us uh, by emailing office.amazinglove at gmail.com. Also, if you'd like to support this ministry, make messages like this ongoing, uh, go to our giving tab online or download the app. Go to the app store and search Amazing Love Luther. But now, may you continue to grasp how wide, high, and deep and long is the love of Christ in this for you. Thank you. Dear friends, I invite you to pray with me. Let's just ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Do not let your people leave empty, but fill them um, as you serve them through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been said that loneliness is an epidemic running across this nation. In fact, if you're listening to WGN radio just this past week, uh, there was this title of a radio show that said, the biggest threat to middle-aged men is loneliness. In fact, I was reading more about this, and, and, and there was this men's health article that says uh, it, it could be as, um, as morbid as, as smoking a cigarette, that, that smoking a cigarette and loneliness were kind of on the same level. Um, more research was done saying that you're 26% higher of a risk for death if you are lonely. Now, I don't have many stats, I haven't done the research, but it's interesting to me as a man how many times I hear the conversations of other men who absolutely don't have another friend to turn to. So I think there's something with it. Well, I also wanted to do a little bit of rant on social media because surprise, surprise, social media, I guess, is not helping us feel more connected. Um, I was uh, listening to Pastor Stephen Furtick in a book that he wrote, and this was his quote. Um, There's actually a direct correlation between the amount of time you spend on Facebook and the likelihood that your overall sense of personal satisfaction, including your social connectedness, will go down. So for what it's worth, maybe for Lent you want to fast from Facebook. And uh, again, I don't have the stats to, again, uh, deny or promote this, but I, I do believe that loneliness can be an issue. So I have a solution, at least for the guys at the building. I think it's this place. Um, I think, you know, there's nothing that brings guys together like gunpowder. So I'm joking, but I'm not at the same time. So if anyone, I hear their coupons, be great time. But, but this isn't actually a new problem. Do you know the problem of loneliness goes back to the very beginning? In fact, even in a perfect world. In the Garden of Eden, there was one thing that God called out that it wasn't good. And he said it wasn't good for man to be alone. And so God spoke into that, providing a solution named Eve. And Eve would be a glorious counterpart. A glorious counterpart that would complement what man was. And that was always the way God intended it. Uh, for the genders to work, to complement each other, even though they are different. And I guess the question goes, if, if you've ever experienced loneliness, is God still able to provide solutions? I believe he is. And that's really what I want to consider with you. I want to consider with you this first fill in the blank, that the solution for isolation is companionship. That might not be a new idea. It might not be incredibly profound. But I think it is worthy of discussion which is what we're talking about today. So we're going to get into our series, and I want to welcome you again. If you're new to Amazing Love or new to Christianity, you're welcome to have questions. Uh, you came at a great point because we're just looking at the, the pinnacle of our salvation, Jesus on the cross. 
And as he gives his life, he's trying to tell you, I love you that much. I would do that much to prove that I don't just give lip service when I say I love you. I would die your death. And so as we see him hanging from the cross, he he speaks such words of life even as he's dying. In fact, if you were here last week, we heard him say, today you will be with me in paradise. And we had fun talking about how grace is not fair. Grace is way better than fair. It's so unfair and it's glorious. We said last week that, that God can cancel a lifetime of debt in a moment. Well, today, today we get to talk about when Jesus speaks to his mom. And I know it's not Mother's Day, but if ever there was like a Mother's Day text, I think this would be it. You know, because we, here we have a son showing extreme love to his mom on a day of his, her grief. So let's get into it. Our, our lesson is from John. And, and the, the guy who records this was actually standing at the cross during this time. Um, so let's get into the words that he speaks and then glean from it. So, so John is standing at the cross, and, and this, is, this is what happens. Uh, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And uh, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved, that's John. And I, I, was, I was listening to that reference. The reason John says this about himself was to put the emphasis on Jesus. It doesn't really matter who I am. What it matters is Jesus and what he means to me. That's pretty cool. So it's a way of humility, actually. Um, So the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, and he said to her, this is Mary, woman, here is your son, referencing John. And to the disciple John, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. In the hour of grief, Jesus turns to the one who is also in grief and tries to answer that isolation and grief. And it's incredible what he does. This is what we get to speak to today. And uh, to help us out, could you turn to someone next to you and say, you are not alone, you are not alone, you are not alone. And especially if someone's sitting by themselves, go find them and tell them they are not alone because that would not be helpful for this sermon. All right. Thank you. Not alone. Not alone. Anyway. A week and a half ago was uh, International Women's Day, and uh, it happens on March 8th, and there are many uh, uh, protests and, and things happening um, in, in the streets, and this, this was regardless of any country. The, the point of International Women's Day was to tell the story of oppression, was to fight for equal rights, because historically, uh, women have been oppressed. Just do some study of world history, and not good things have gone on, and that's a very euphemistic way of saying it. And, and so again, people are fighting for, again, wage equality, and, and, and many things of that matter. I'm not sure where you stand on women's equality, but I want to tell you my personal note. I love women. In fact, I, I was, uh, grew up with a, a great mom. She was an incredible mom. Um, I have an incredibly fantastic wife, and I have two daughters. So I am fond of women. Um, have some great ones around me. On a pastoral note, if I could be helpful, um, I know that God has made men and women equal. Co-equal, co-heir, and yet he created them radically different. Right? He made them radically different even though they are co-equal and co-heir. Well, if you're ever looking for a a case in point of the nobility of women, you would find it on the day that Jesus died. Because the crowd there at the cross was formed a majority of women. Let's look again at what John recorded. He said, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And what this means is that all the rest of his disciples, except for John, had left him. 
There was a prophecy that said you, you strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter, and that is exactly what happened. I'm not sure what the disciples were thinking. Maybe they're like, I don't want to have what happened to him happen to me, but, but that was going on. And yet women were standing nearby the cross to support Jesus in his hour of need. A noble thing. But now I want you to enter the, the mode, the emotion of Mary. Mary is watching her son die. And some of you have, our mothers here, some of you have children. Um, hopefully that will never, ever happen. But I can't imagine what it would be like to watch your son, your child die. In fact, I was thinking of like who is more grieved on Good Friday. And I think Jesus probably is up there and the Father is up there. But Mary has to be close to the top grieved person of all. In fact, she is um, getting a prophecy. The fulfillment of a prophecy is happening at this time. Mary has such grief because when, he, when she presented Jesus in the temple, this was the prophecy of what would happen over Jesus. It, it was said about the child, destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that though the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. But look at this, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This was a man named Simeon telling Mary, this is what's going to happen. And the day this happens is happening right now as Mary is standing at the foot of the cross watching her son die. But what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't speak many words, doesn't turn to many people, but he does turn to Mary. And what he does is he gives attention. So for the isolated, for those who feel alone, this is the first thing I want to talk about with you, um, that God gives attention to the isolated. And do you know, let, let's talk about women just a little bit. Jesus always elevated the status of the oppressed. Whenever he was around, whatever situation he was in, he always elevated the status of the oppressed, and he always elevated the status of women, who historically at that time were not looked at on, on fondly. Um, historically at that time, some thought of women as property, which is bad, is sinful, evidence of a sinful world, not right. But Jesus would elevate that status as he does now turning to Mary. In fact, more about the Christian church. Do you know women flocked to the early Christian church because there their status was elevated? That they found safe havens because they were there, co-equal, co-heir, as God had taught and proclaimed. Do you know, I think that's what the church should do today. Regardless of what category is oppressed, we should tell everyone you are co-equal, you are co-heir. When Jesus died, he died for you and mine, as well as me. We are no better, no, no worse. We're just on the same level. Well, that's what Jesus is doing, and he's giving attention to Mary in her time of need. And you consider the, the, the attention that God gives to us. In fact, uh, there's some promises about how God gives attention. Here's one thing you need to know about God. He is a father to the fatherless. He can watch over the orphan and, and the adopted. And he's a defender of widows, as he was even doing in this moment, being a defender of widows. God has said to us that, do not fear, I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And because of these promises, the psalmist was known for crying out to God for attention. Uh, look what the psalmist said. He said, do not hide your face from me. I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer quickly. And you know something that I think we take for granted is God's attention. You and I need to consider the priceless worth of having someone's attention. Uh, consider when we interact. If you interact with someone, when you give them your attention, you're basically giving them your life. One of the most valuable things you can give someone is your time. And when they have your attention, they also have your support. When you give attention, it is a priceless value. 
In fact, kids know this and they're always vying for attention. I don't know if you have any kids vying for your attention. If you're watching sports or TV or March Madness, I don't know if anyone doing well in the brackets. And kids will poke you on the shoulder and say, come play with me. Come see what I did. Come see what I colored, right? Always vying for attention. In fact, teachers, I know there's some teachers in the room. Um, teachers know that sometimes the naughty kids, why are they naughty? Does anyone know? Because they want attention. I'm here. Someone love me, please. Right? I'll be naughty just to get attention. And then pets, pets get attention, right? You know, and, and uh, my, my wife has at 4 a.m. Uh, a paw at her face. And if that doesn't work, my, my cat uh, uh, grabs her hair and like bites at it because that's the way of gaining attention, right? I love that when it comes with God, we don't have to ask him three times. We don't need to paw on his face. We don't need to be persistent. But every time you go to him, he hears you. He answers and he can help. He can either say yes, no, or maybe, or not yet, and, and, and he has, you have his attention. What priceless worth is that? In fact, this is the lesson of loneliness, that if you have no one else, you always have God, and please don't underestimate that impact, that when everyone else fades away, he will still be there, he will still care for you, he will always listen to you, and this is the lesson of loneliness that is not an easy one, but it is so good if you've ever been there. It is so good to learn that when you have no one, you still have God, and he's better anyway. But there's more that Jesus does. There's more as he turns to Mary. He also says these words that we consider. He says, woman, here is your son. Woman, here is your son. So what is God doing? God is providing a way for relationship, isn't he? He's providing for this earthly relationship, even though she'll always have that spiritual connection. She provides earthly relationship. Now, let me do a tangent on Mary, okay? And I don't want to get in trouble with Catholics, but we need to be real about the dichotomy, okay? Uh, Mary, uh, this is my tangent, is a good mom, right? And she is uh, definitely honored by God to have, you know, uh, Jesus as son. What an honored position that she had. The thing is, we don't believe Mary is God. So Mary is a good mom. She's not the God mom. And we see this in this interplay because when, when Jesus is on the cross, it's not Mary providing for Jesus, but Jesus providing for Mary. When Jesus is praying, he is not praying to Mary. He prays to his Father, right? So we, we just need to clear that up a little bit. But, but he's providing relationship. He's providing relationship. Well, as we talk about this in our own lives, um, what I've noticed about relationships is that they don't happen just all of a sudden. You can be praying to God in your room, Lord, please send someone, I'd like to be in a relationship, and it's not like someone falls from the sky in your room and there you are. If you are looking for a relationship, I want to confirm you have a part to play. I remember being in high school, and, and I was that uh, hopeless romantic in high school who always wanted a girlfriend. That was me. Always wanted to be in love. That seemed really cool. And I'd pray about it, and I'd say, God, that's a good idea. I want to be in love. Let's do it. But I never asked anyone out. You think I dated many people? No! Because <laughs> I had a part to play. And the only time this actually happened is when I played my part pursuing someone else, and they said yes, and that was great, and, and pretty much I only dated one person who became my wife, and it's great. But you have a part to play, don't you? In any relationship, you have God who, again, provides different avenues, but then you do your part as you walk with other people. That's the way relationships work. And, and Ruth actually gave us a great paradigm of this pursuit, didn't she? 
Um, Ruth, uh, let's explore that story again. Um, she had lost her husband, so she was a widow. Her mother-in-law lost her husband, so she was a widow. And what did she say to Naomi? She said, here's it. Don't urge me to leave you. No, don't urge me to turn back. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. That's a good thing to say to your spouse, right? It's not a good thing to say to the person who broke up with you. They, they don't want you anymore. Move on. But anyway, it's good to say to your spouse. It's good to say to your friends. This is the essence of pursuit in relationship and what God calls us to. Well, as we consider relationships, what's also awesome is what God sets up, the paradigm of the church, the community of the church. In fact, church is supposed to be one of the strongest communities that is possible. That's why I love to be here. In fact, I was, I was reading from my personal study about the early Christian church and what it looked like. And, and for me, it looked like a party. Here, here, let me give you a, a picture of the early Christian church. It said, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. I think that sounds like a party. Like, sign me up. I'll bring Portillo's tonight. Let's, let's do this thing, right? Let's, let's stay in the temple by Jesus. Let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about his grace. Let's talk about the fact he just rose from the dead because that's what they were talking about. That sounds like a party. That's awesome, right? And that's what God made the church to be. So again, church provides an incredible opportunity for community, doesn't it? And that's why I love Amazing Love. In fact, I've seen some great things happen in this community. I remember at Christmas time, there was this one small group that went to Frankfurt Terrace, and they sang carols, and they gave socks, and they gave blankets. And then at the very same time, there was this other small group uh, that my wife met in Target that was buying presents for a needy family, and I thought that was really cool. And then sometimes, like, I'm going to support Facebook here. Sometimes I'm on Facebook, and I'm like, yeah, you guys go. It's awesome, because people will be in need. And they're like, I'll pray for you. You know, what do you need? This is awesome. This is the community of God at work. And I got to tell you, you guys do it well, and there's potential doing it well. I love the conversations we have. I love sticking around for donuts and, and praying together and, and talking about serious stuff beyond surface level so that we can help each other through this life. You know what I'm talking about? It's just great when that happens. And if you've never had this idea about what church could be, let me give you another quote. Uh, Stephen Furtick, he said this, when a church is functioning as it's supposed to, in all its glorious messiness, it's still messy, I love that. He, he's so balanced. Uh, it's messy, but it's a wonderful thing. It's a supernatural thing that no amount of neighborliness can match. And at this time, if you're lonely, if you're wanting community, there's room for you here. We gather every Sunday. And we're not perfect, but we'll give you donuts and coffee, and that's good. And we'll tell you about Jesus, and we'll pray together, and we'll praise God together. And there's small group app opportunities, and there's opportunities for you to serve together. Like at Thanksgiving, when you bring part of the meal, you know, that's what we do here. And Man, we got open arms. Because we got some strong bonds. In fact, that's what, that's what God's going to communicate next the strength of the bond of this Christian community. Um, what I need to tell you is that a spiritual family is and can be stronger than a physical family. And, and here's how I'm going to explore that with you. Let me tell you about Mary's family dynamic. Now, historically, we know that Joseph has probably died around 15 years ago. That's what people say. So Mary is a widow. But the thing we know about Mary is that she has four other sons. 
She has a physical family. In fact, four other sons, at least two daughters. That is her, her household makeup. That's what the, the disciple Matthew references. And so when, when Jesus takes Mary from the physical family she was a part of and says, be with John, he's emphasizing the strength of a spiritual family because something about Mary's family, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, uh, that, that was known. In fact, only James, after the resurrection, only after Jesus rose again, was he convinced that he really was the Son of God. So at this time, when, when only the physical family is unbelievers, Jesus is setting a new paradigm saying, it would be better for you, Mary, to be with John, a believer. And so again, a spiritual family can be stronger than a physical family, and this is awesome. And in fact, we have some, some language for how strong connections can be. Uh, they, they say that blood is thicker than water. And, and I heard another good one about spiritual family. They, uh, Rick Warren said this, that, that grace is thicker than genetics. And you know this. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Maybe some of you experienced differences in your physical family. Maybe, you know, there are people who were apart, not apart. Maybe it's cousins, uh, nephews, uncles, aunts. I don't know what it is. Physical family is always morphing, changing. You can't hold on to people even when you want to. But a spiritual family? Do brothers and sisters of mine know that we will party together in heaven forever? Do brothers and sisters of mine know that Jesus uh, is our brother and that we have a same father, the same father over us all? That's a pretty cool bond. It's thicker than blood. Grace is thicker than genetics. How awesome is this? But there's one final thing that, that Jesus does, and it's pretty amazing. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about pain. Do, do you know how when you're in pain, it's really hard to focus on someone else? Has anyone ever burnt their hand or finger on a stove or something? And if you ever had that burning sensation, it's funny how it sticks with you. Like, you know, I remember doing hibachi, and I was supposed to catch the thing, and I touched the thing, and it's a really hot surface. So that whole night, I wasn't focusing on the volcano onion. I was just focusing my hand is burning alive. And it did blister, and it was kind of bad, right? That's what pain does. Pain makes you um, inward focused. It always does. Pain, and, and that's the same if you ever had, like, an emotionally bad day. If your emotions hit, like, ground zero, it's really hard to be interested in how someone else is doing. You know what I'm saying? If your world is falling around, uh, apart around you, then it's really hard to say, well, how are you doing? Pain does that. But Jesus... How bad is Jesus' day? How much pain is Jesus in? And Jesus is still able to go outside of himself and to someone who's isolated in her grief and give emotional support. And this is, this is the goodness of Jesus. He gives emotional support to the isolated even on the day of his greatest pain, the greatest adversity he had. He was able to empty of himself, look towards Mary. Now, I am struck that the way God loves is different than the way I often love. You know, it is hard for me always to give superior attention to those who need it. It is definitely hard when I am in pain to try to provide someone's emotional support on the day of my weakness. You know, it's, it's hard to be the son that Jesus was. We haven't talked a lot about the fourth commandment, which is honor your father and mother, um, but it's hard to fulfill that commandment in the way that Jesus has fulfilled it here. 
In fact, when I look at the way Jesus loves versus the way I love, I am convicted that I don't love that good. What about you? Well, this is what the church calls sin. Sin is lovelessness. Sin is not being able to love a perfect way that God has loved. And of that, we repent. Of that, I encourage you to repent of. And then, understanding what we need, an answer for sin, look to Jesus again. Because he's hanging on the cross for you. And his death means your forgiveness. He's obeying the fourth commandment for you. And his active obedience in doing that means that you are now righteous through faith. That you are considered as Jesus was, all because you cling to him as faith. So it doesn't matter how much you got wrong, he got it right for you. And what this also means, the cross, it's like two arrows. I was hearing a commentator saying it's like two arrows. We are now in relationship with God, but now we are in relationship with other people. It's a horizontal relationship created at the cross uh, with other people and a vertical one with God. This is now the implications of that cross. See, now you and I can walk together forgiving one another and loving one another just as Jesus loved us. And that was his goal for us. That it wouldn't just be about what we get, but what we give now to other people. So let's leave with just two implications of this lesson on relationship. Uh, One of the implications I believe God is speaking to us is this. That we need to remember to love our immediate family. Okay? I don't know how you're doing on that. I don't know where you are on that. But we need to remember that we love God by loving our immediate family. In fact, uh, there was a letter to Timothy, and, and there it said, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, I don't know your experience, but usually I don't have to be reminded to provide for the kids. You know what I'm saying? Parents do that naturally. But we live in a society that sometimes you need to remind the kids to provide for their parents. You know what I'm saying? Because the paradigm will change. And you will grow older, and and the ones who raised you will someday have needs. And it is still God-pleasing to provide kids for your parents and to plan for that. To think of that. In fact, as I was considering lonely people, um, how many are, are the lonely in our own families? The elderly, maybe at nursing homes, the elderly who feel displaced, who feel like they don't have a purpose, the elderly who are wondering, why am I still here? How can we speak into them, give life to them, remembering their needs too? They're not less than in God's eyes. No one is. So to remember to fight for your immediate family. And the goal of doing this is through service, through agape love, by putting ourselves down that we might lift someone up. The other statement that I want to make before we leave here is how you might be healed if you're lonely. How you might be healed if you're hurting. I'm a believer that this can happen, that you can find healing in your helping. And this is what I mean. Sometimes we do feel really isolated. We do feel really down. And I just want to challenge you. The next day you feel alone, Why don't you go out and notice someone? Why don't you go find that person with their head down, giving the nonverbal cues, saying, I'm all alone, no one cares, and say, hey, I'm Dustin, how are you doing today? And see what it does for your spirit. The next day you're wondering if you're loved. Why don't you go find someone, speak life into them, do what it is to communicate loving actions to them, and see if you yourself don't feel better by that process. 
Why don't we give to others what we so crave and see what God does to our spirit? When we encourage, we are encouraged. When we help, we do get help. May God so bless us to do that. And may he guard the lonely in our families. Amen.